Well, hey, Grace Chapel, good to be with you all. Struck me this morning that's been a couple of weeks since I've been here with you on a Sunday morning. Now, I haven't, I've been here, I just haven't been here. <laughs> so I've had a couple of chances to visit some of our campuses recent weeks, uh, East Lexington, Foxborough, and I'm just so encouraged every time I get out there uh, by the people I meet, by the things God is doing there. Every time people come to me and they thank me. They're so thankful that Grace Chapel has come to their neighborhood. They're finding their way back to God, back to church, uh, back to family, back to whatever good things God has for them. And just, I'm so encouraged by all of it. So uh, shout out to all our campuses today. We're encouraged by what's going on there and great to be with all of you here in Lexington today as well. Well, a girl named Cassandra spent the early years of her life searching for belonging, but never really finding it. By the time she was in middle school, her family moved a half a dozen times, from New Orleans to Houston to D.C., back to Houston again. So she was always the new kid, and for a stretch of years, she was the only Protestant kid in a Catholic school. As challenging as that was, as what kept her going through all those years was her close-knit family. But in middle school, that began to unravel as well. And so as she began high school, she was determined that she was going to belong somewhere. So she decided to try out for the high school drill team, the Bear Cadets. With her household now full of argument, the Bear Cadets would be her refuge. Long lines of girls marching in lockstep, all dressed in their white fringed vests and their white boots and hats dancing their way into stadiums filled with cheering people. Talk about belonging. It didn't get any better than being a bear cadet. So after hours and hours of practice and with years of ballet lessons behind her, she was certain she had nailed the tryout. But when the roster was posted on the gym door, her name was not there. Let me read what happens next in her own words. I walked back to our station wagon, got into the back seat, and my dad just drove away. My parents didn't say a word, not a single word. Their silence cut into me like a knife in the heart. They were ashamed of me and for me. My dad had been captain of the football team. My mom had been head of her drill team. I was nothing. My parents valued being cool and fitting in above all else. I was not cool. I did not fit in. That became the day I no longer belonged in my family, the most primal and important of all social groups. Had my parents consoled me or told me I was brave for trying or how I deserved to be picked, this story wouldn't be the one that defined my life and shaped its trajectory, but it did. Now, Cassandra is better known by her middle name, Brene, as in Brene Brown, the well-known sociologist and TED Talker. Her book, Braving the Wilderness, has been the catalyst for much of our thinking this year about belonging. So this fall, we talked about what it means to belong in this thing called the church. This winter, we'd like to talk about what it means to belong at home with the people we call family, whether we live under the same roof right now or not. Now, we've talked about belonging as as having a people and a place in the world, being part of something bigger than ourselves. 
Belonging gives you a sense of identity and security and significance. It means that you matter to someone. And of all the places in the world we expect to find belonging, it's in our families, right? The people we're connected to by birth or marriage or adoption or some deliberate decision to do life together. But as Brene's story illustrates, it doesn't always work that way. Families don't always deliver what we're looking for. Homes aren't always safe and happy places. And if we don't find belonging at home, like Brene, we can spend the rest of our lives looking for it, often in the wrong ways and in the wrong places. So we want something better than that, right? For ourselves, for the ones that we love for our children, for our parents, for our siblings, for all the extended members of our family. So for the next several weeks, we'd like to go to the Bible, this book that we believe contains God's wisdom for life, life that's rich and full and meaningful. And let's see what God had in mind when he designed this thing called family. How are families supposed to work? And how in particular do our homes become places of true belonging? Now, as the opening video kind of illustrates, family comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes these days. In fact, they tell us that the size of the typical American family is shrinking to about 2.58 people. I don't know what a 0.58 person looks like, but I guess it illustrates the shrinking idea in some way. Parents are households with children in them are actually decreasing in number to about 40%. Two-parent households are on the decline. Single-parent households are on the rise. In fact, the single population is on the rise, with about 45% of the adult population being single. So whatever a home looks like for you right now, we are all connected to people by birth, marriage, law, adoption, foster, kinship care, or the circumstances of life people we call family. And the degree to which we find belonging with them and offer belonging to them can have a profound impact on their lives and ours and even the world. So in the weeks to come, we're going to identify seven values of homes that offer true belonging. I'll give you the list so you know what's coming. Our homes become places of true belonging when we value faithfulness, Trust, nurture, singleness, faith, hospitality, and grace. Now, we may still mess with the order and the words just a little bit, but that's kind of where we're headed. We're going to get the journey started today with the idea of faithfulness. We want to talk about what faithfulness is and how we can offer it to the people we call family. And to do that, I'd like to, we'd like to spend a little time with what we call the holy family, the family of Jesus. We're going to discover that even this holy family struggled at times with belonging. So let's go to the Gospels, these books in the Bible that record the life and teachings of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll, we'll look at almost each of them today jumping around from passage to passage. And let's try to just follow Jesus and the family. Let's look at some family snapshots as we walk through life together and see how they discovered true belonging. 
So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 1 with some verses that should sound very familiar right now. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, this story is still fresh in our minds. In fact, some of you may have thought that I went back in time a few weeks and got my Sundays mixed up. But with this story fresh in our minds, we don't need to do a lot of explaining about what a difficult situation this couple found themselves in. What I want us to notice is that Joseph and Mary had a decision to make. I mean, this was not the kind of beginning they had envisioned. There had to be all kinds of confusion Shame, doubt, hurt, maybe disappointment, not to mention scandal. They had every reason for calling off this engagement. That's what any reasonable, God-fearing person would have done. In fact, that's what, exactly what Joseph was going to do. But in response to the prompting of God's Spirit, Joseph decided to believe Mary and to stick with her. And Mary decided to trust Joseph and stick with him, even though his initial inclination was to leave her. And that's really where faithfulness begins, with the decision to stick with each other, even when the future is uncertain. Mary and Joseph had no idea what was in front of them. No idea what kind of child this was going to be. No no idea how people were going to treat them. What else God might ask of them. But they decided whatever the future held, they would face it together. So that's where faithfulness begins. Faithfulness is about sticking with each other even when the future is uncertain. Faithfulness is about loyalty. It's about commitment It's about showing up and not giving up, even when you don't have everything figured out. And faithfulness is one of the values that family members offer to each other. And they offer to each other when there might be reasons not to, when other people might drift away or give up or turn away or lose interest. Family members hang in there. Now, occasionally you'll find a friend who does that sort of thing, and it's wonderful when you do, but we expect this of family, right? I mean, family is is the place where when you go there, they have to take you in, right? And that's why faithfulness in marriage is so important to the well-being of a family, because it sets the pace. It establishes some boundaries, It it creates a safe place to live and love and grow. 
even though young Cassandra struggled with belonging in those early years. As long as her parents were together, she was okay. When the marriage began to fail, that's when she began to flounder. Faithfulness begins with that marital commitment. And that faithfulness begins with a decision to stick together. Now, I know there's a trend in our culture today for couples to live together for a while before making that decision to get married. Sometimes it's for financial reasons, to kind of get get some money together. Sometimes it's to sort of test drive the relationship to see how this thing is going to work. And it sounds like a good idea, but it turns out not to be. Because when you live together before you make that decision, there's no commitment. And when there's no commitment, there's no safety. And when there's no safety, there's no freedom. Freedom to be your true self. Freedom to fail. Freedom, freedom to learn. Freedom to discover together. And so can I encourage those of you who may feel as though God might be leading you together with someone, not to be reckless or foolish, of course, but when you sense that God has led you to that person, You don't have to have everything ironed out, figured out, worked out. You make the commitment and you trust God to help you figure it out together. So our homes become places of true belonging when we value faithfulness, not just to our spouse, but to our parents and children, to our brothers and sisters, to our aunts and uncles and cousins once and twice and maybe three times removed. I don't know. All those people. And faithfulness begins with that decision to stick with each other. There's no way a couple of 20-somethings know what the future holds, or a couple of 40-somethings for that matter. There's no way a group of siblings growing up under the same roof know what the future holds for them, where life will take them, what kind of people they'll turn out to be. Who knows? There's no knowing what, what, what your spouse or your parents might need from you in their later years of life. We can't know those things, but we choose We choose to be faithful even when the future is uncertain. And that begins with a decision and it's sustained by a thousand more decisions. So before we go any further, let's just pause for a minute. Let me ask, is is there a faithfulness decision that you might need to make today? Is there some family member God's putting on your heart right now? that you need to stick with instead of giving up on? And what might that look like? Well, that's how this holy family got started. Not under the best of circumstances, but with a decision. Let's see what happens next. Let's jump ahead to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 29 to 30. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So we're on the other side of the Christmas story now. There's no angels. There's no shepherds barging in. There's no distinguished visitors from the east showing up with expensive gifts. There's none of that. There's just small town out of the way Nazareth. Life has suddenly become very ordinary. 
Mary and Joseph are doing what parents do. They're going to work. They're putting food on the table. They're changing diapers. They're going over lessons. And they're walking to worship every week. It's not very exciting. The same thing for Jesus, by the way. There's no angels helping him with his homework. There's no snapping his fingers and the bed is made. It didn't work that way. Life is ordinary, mundane, and maybe even tedious at points. Let me show you my favorite painting of the Holy Family. It was done by Michelangelo, commissioned by a wealthy patron who wanted it as a wedding gift for his bride. Now, as it turned out, the wealthy patron hated it. He was offended by the artist's portrayal of the Holy Family as ordinary working-class people. I mean, notice the realism of these figures. Joseph's bald head and furrowed brow. Mary's muscular arms. Jesus squirming in his parents' grasp as the two of them try to wrangle him into place. This is every family in the Sears photo booth right here. <laughs> Sit still. You can't tell from this picture, but they're seated right on the grass, like with their skin touching the dirt like they belong to the earth as much as to heaven. Michelangelo understood something that many artists and theologians of the day had missed, that the holy family wasn't always so holy. That word holy means different, other, set apart, and certainly there's a sense in which this family in Jesus was different and set apart, but there was also a sense in which they were very ordinary as well. For the next 30 years, 30 years, there would be no miracles, no voices from heaven, no signs in the sky, no rescue from trouble, no relief from the tedium of everyday life. And so those 30 years called for faithfulness. And so faithfulness means sticking with each other even when it's ordinary. Whatever home looks like for you right now, it's probably pretty ordinary. You probably do a lot of the same things every day. Same chores, same routine. How, how many hours do you spend on the job or in the kitchen putting meals on the table for the people that you love? How many times have you told your kids to brush their teeth? How many times have you read Goodnight Moon to them? How many times have you reminded them of their curfew and thought about it afterwards? How many times have you called your parents or some sibling to find out how they're doing in some distant city? I spoke to a young father recently. His fifth child was just potty trained. And he said he had unfortunately done some calculating and found out he had changed 32,000 diapers over the past 13 years. There's nothing or dramatic or exciting about any of those things. But all those hours, all those phone calls, all those diaper changes, all those book readings, they all add up to something, and it's called belonging. It's this sense that someone cares, that you have a place in this world, that you have people who value you, who you're connected to. It communicates belonging. And so if you're feeling a little weary of the ordinariness of it all, or if you're feeling that ordinariness, having put all the decorations away now, and suddenly the house and the calendar looks really ordinary for the next stretch of weeks, know that what you're doing matters. All of it matters. It adds up to something good in the end. We'll talk more about this later on in the series when we come to the subject of nurture. But for now, enough to say that faithfulness means sticking with each other, 
even when it's ordinary. Every so often, though, something happens that's not so ordinary, that's unusual, and maybe even challenging, and that happens to Jesus' family as well. Interestingly, and not surprisingly, right about the time he becomes a teenager. They go up to Jerusalem, celebrate the Passover, along with thousands of other families, and somehow, along the way, they lose track of Jesus. Been there, done that. Probably most of us have, okay? It happens to the best of us. So let's pick up the story, Luke chapter 2, verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them doesn't feel like a very holy moment, doesn't it? It feels kind of uncomfortable. It feels like they're upset with each other, like they're disappointed in each other. And it feels pretty ordinary, doesn't it? It feels pretty familiar. It's not just parents and teachers, parents and teenagers who struggle to understand each other. It's husbands and wives and it's brothers and sisters. I haven't even talked about in-laws yet, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> it's so interesting to me, so revealing, that we are given only one incident from Jesus' home life in all of the Gospels, and it's an incident involving conflict. One story, and it's a story of conflict. Because Conflict is inevitable when you put human beings in close proximity to one another, which is what happens when we live under the same roof together. Look what happens in the aftermath here. Verse 31. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So in spite of the misunderstanding and the disappointment, they went home together and carried on as husband and wife and parents and child. Faithfulness means sticking with each other even when we disappoint each other. Even when we don't understand each other. A few years ago, I was skiing with one of my young adult sons, who at that point was out of the house and, and on his own. As we were riding up the chairlift, we got into a conversation about an incident we had together when he was a teenager. The subject came up kind of innocently, but it, it quickly became obvious that there was still some lingering tension over that incident. He still didn't agree with the decision that I had made. I still didn't think he had handled it very well. It also became clear that we weren't going to straighten this whole thing out in one conversation on a chairlift. So we, we rode to the top in silence, tried to shake off the discomfort as we buckled our boots and adjusted our goggles, and then we headed down the mountain together. Now, I don't think we are ever going to see eye to eye on that incident. Maybe I was too harsh. Maybe he was too stubborn. But we made a decision that day, an unspoken one, that we were not going to let that disappointment 
keep us from enjoying a day on the slopes and more importantly, from enjoying the rest of our lives together. We stick with each other, even when we don't understand each other. So we'll talk more about conflict and reconciliation later in the series. But enough now to say that faithfulness means sticking with each other, even when we disappoint each other. But family isn't just about parents and children. It's about siblings as well. It's not just about the people who we live under a roof with. Family goes on for the rest of our lives, right? So let's look at an incident that takes place after Jesus has left home. John chapter 7. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Can you hear the sarcasm? The not-so-good-natured teasing of these brothers? Every sibling in the room recognizes that tone of voice. We've all dished it out and received it. And turns out Jesus gives it right back. You're not the boss of me, he says. That's a loose paraphrase, but <laughs> if you go back and check, it's actually pretty close to what he says to them. So once again, it's becoming clear, this is not always a holy family. His own brothers don't believe in him. So it's very clear that they are at very different places in their understanding of what God is up to in the world. But here's what I find so interesting. It appears that Jesus changed his mind as a result of this conversation. He wasn't going to go to the tabernacle. After the conversation, he decides to go. As if the conversation with his unbelieving brothers and even the disagreement figured into his decision to go. As if God was working even through the sibling rivalries to move all of them along in accordance with his will. It reminds me of the wedding in Cana. You remember the story? Jesus' mother Mary urges him to get involved. He says, it's not my time, woman. Next thing you know, he's turning water into wine. Could it be that God uses the members of our family, whether they're believers or not, to further his work on our lives, to grow and challenge and deepen and strengthen and even test our faith, to reveal himself to us? Faithfulness means sticking with each other, even when we're at different places on our journey of faith. So sometimes that faith, faithfulness will mean that we share our faith with members of our family who don't believe. Sometimes it means we will challenge the faith of members of our family who do believe. Sometimes it means we'll be intentional about passing faith on to our children or our grandchildren. Sometimes it will mean just being quiet and praying for God's work to unfold in a loved one's life. So we'll talk more about faith and family and how we do this in some of the weeks to come. But enough for now to notice that the, the, the only incidents of Jesus and his brothers recorded in the Gospels, and there's a couple of them, are occasions when they disagree over matters of faith. Let's look at one more and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Let's jump ahead to the darkest day in this family's life. John chapter 19. 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, it doesn't get much worse than this. A good son in the prime of life, dying an excruciating death. A mother watching her firstborn child die. But Mary's there. She's faithful to the end, to this awful moment, which is more than we can say about most of his other so-called friends who are not there. And Jesus is faithful too, even in his pain, even in his darkness and loneliness, seeing his mother and making sure she's provided for in the days to come and seeing his friend and welcoming that friend into his family circle. Family isn't just about the people we're connected to by birth, marriage, adoption, or law. It's about the people that we invite into our circle as well. Dark days can put a real strain on family ties. We all know families who've imploded after a crisis or a loss. Those kinds of things, suffering, sickness, accusations, shame, blame, misunderstanding, loss. Those things can cause people to turn away from each other, sometimes to turn against each other. Families are designed to be faithful to each other, even in those dark days, even when the days are dark. In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, those aren't just words for husbands and wives. They're for parents and children and brothers and sisters and anyone who belongs to a family. We'll talk more about good days and bad days in the weeks to come. But today it's worth asking, is is someone you love, is someone in your family's circle facing a dark day? Do they need you to show up in their lives somehow? Or are you facing a dark day and you need to invite someone into your darkness as well? Even if you don't know what to do exactly. There wasn't much Mary could do for Jesus that day at the cross, but she showed up, she was there, and God did something good with it. So we've touched on a lot of points here today. Clearly, we have a lot to talk about in the weeks to come. But we've established a starting point. We've got a foundation to build on, and that foundation is faithfulness. And we'll define it this way. Our homes become places of true belonging when we value faithfulness, sticking with each other for the long haul, no matter what. For the long haul, no matter what. So I don't know what faithfulness looks like for you and your family situation right now. It might mean making a decision about sticking with someone. It might mean reaching out to a family member with a phone call or an email or a visit. It might mean showing up in the life of someone who's facing a dark day or inviting someone into your dark day. Or it could be the most faithful thing you can do right now for your family is to pray and be patient as God's work unfolds in their lives. 
Now, a couple of things that need to be said here before we close. First, there are times when even family relationships can become destructive and even dangerous. There are times when faithfulness means putting a boundary around a relationship to protect you or someone that you love. Sometimes you can only be faithful to someone from a safe distance. That happens. And secondly, we have all failed at this thing called faithfulness. We haven't always been there for the ones that we love, and they haven't always been there for us either. We haven't always made or kept the commitments that we should have, and they haven't always made or kept them for us as well. That's why it's good to know that God is faithful, that he's faithful and just to forgive us for our failures, for our sins, if we'll confess them. God is able to forgive, to heal, to redeem, and give you and your family a second and a third chance. Well, I can't talk about families and faithfulness without thinking about my own parents, Fort and Barbara Wilkerson. My dad turns 85 this week, and mom is right behind him. Now, neither one of them was raised in a Christian home, as, as we might describe that. They each came to faith as teenagers, found each other in college, and decided that they would face the future together, that they would build a home together, having no idea what that might look like. And for 63 years now, they had been faithful, not just to each other and to their children, but to their children's children and their children's children's children, to the third and the fourth generation. And because of that, there are now 29 human beings on this planet who are following in their footsteps, being faithful to Christ and faithful to each other because that's what families do. And the two of them are being faithful to each other in the challenges of being 84 and 85 years old, because that's what families do. They stick with each other for the long haul, no matter what. And when they do, God is able to do wonderful things in and through all of them, which is, of course, what God did in the life of that holy family. The story doesn't end that dark day at the cross. You have to jump ahead 50 days later, after Jesus has risen from the dead, after he's shown himself to his followers and, we're told, to at least one of his brothers. This is what we read in Acts chapter 1. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And with his brothers. Somewhere along the way, somehow along the way, all the members of this family became believers. And Jesus left behind not just an earthly family, but a, a spiritual family, 
a family that will welcome anybody who will become a child of God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's where true belonging is found. So who knows what God will do in our homes? Who knows what God, how many people and generations might, might follow in our footsteps if we will become people, families, who stick together for the long haul, no matter what. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for providing this glimpse into the life of a very real family. Thank you for recording these stories for us. Thank you for how familiar they are, how encouraging, how revealing. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, for bringing us to this day. Lord, those of us who have enjoyed wonderful and healthy and happy family lives, we are grateful. For those who are enjoying family life today, we are grateful. We pray that you might, might make us good stewards of all that bounty, that we, we would continue to bless those that we love and to bless the world around us as well. For those who are feeling disappointed today, for those who are feeling lonely, for those who have not yet discovered the kind of family that they're hoping for or recovering from some kind of a hurt, we pray, Lord, they might know your faithfulness, that they might know the love of brothers and sisters in Christ, and that they might be able to trust you for their future as well. We thank you for the opportunity we have now, Lord, as members of a spiritual family to gather around a table and to celebrate our belonging to you and to each other. And we'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen.